You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Tarno, and I'm joined once again today by one of the Better Man founding partners, Robert Lewis. Robert, how are we doing today? Doing well. Great to be with you today, Adam. So today we're going to be talking about the church. And uh, what is your... Did you grow up in the church? What's one of your earliest memories of church? You know, I... Honestly, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a small town where everybody went to church, except it seems my family. Okay. But my earliest memory, when you ask that question, my earliest memory of the church was my mom's insistence on Sunday morning that we three boys not go outside until one o'clock because she didn't want to see us outside and the neighbors see that we didn't go to church. Wow. So that's how I related to church in the sense of hiding out so we, in a small town, we wouldn't create a scandal as being non-church goers. (laughs) I love that. You know what that sounds like. Now, again, I don't want to create a scandal, and I don't want to throw any any, um, great institutions under the bus, but my wife went to college, and I'll just say this, she went to college in a town in Texas called Waco. So there's a school there. I don't know if you know about this school down there, but they have the roots of that school are uh, church roots. And so she used to tell the story uh, very similar that people on Sunday morning would wake up late, get dressed in church clothes, and just go to the dining hall. And so it was, that was their way of kind of trying to fit in to say, Hey, we, you you don't know if I was there. There's a lot of churches in this town, right? You don't know if I was there. And so, uh, it's funny what people will do to try to pretend like they went to church. Yeah. yeah, It's, you know, you have fake news. We had fake church back then. (laughs) Yes. I like that. My experience. So I grew up in Manassas, Virginia. I didn't become a follower of Jesus personally till uh, I was in college right around my 21st birthday. But I do remember my parents when we lived in Manassas, Virginia, going to uh, a church there in town for a little bit and sitting in the the big church. And I just remember the way the S's sounded when the congregation talked, uh, when they repeated the Lord's Prayer, and it talked about trespasses and just Uh the way it sounded when 200 people were saying the word trespasses and the way it echoed. For some reason, my little brain, I just was (laughs) like, that sounds so weird, the way they say uh, those S's with all of that. But and I just remember wearing, you know, shoes I didn't like and things like that going to church. But so, Robert, here we are. We're in the fall of 2020. The pandemic is still moving forward. It's impacting everyone. It's impacting every institution. And that includes the church. And so in your experience, how have you seen uh, how churches are responding to the pandemic? Yeah, I, I have a lot of relationships with pastors in central Arkansas. And I can just tell you, um, one of the things that stands out is how exhausted pastors are with the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think a lot of pastors, just by their very nature, are a little more routine-oriented. Uh, and so they operate out of the strength of the routine, the Sunday service, preparing the Sunday message, to having programming that just kind of rolls along week to week. And suddenly the pandemic hits and everything, all the wheels come off. Yeah. And suddenly you have to go from being more of a routine manager to an entrepreneur, so to speak. Mm. And the truth is, most pastors are not entrepreneurs. Mm. And so to suddenly have to kind of take on that role, it it's way out of their comfort level. And so I met with a pastor the other day, and he 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 just looked worn. And he said, this has been 
the most exhausting year of my life. I can hardly pull my head up because he says, I try to get everything together. I try to get the next step that we're going to do to have somewhat of a, a church. And just about the time me and the staff put that all together, something else happens that undoes all that. And we start all over. And he said, I don't have a lot of start overs left in me. Yep. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's, I, I would say that the conversations I'm having with church leaders too here in in Dallas is very similar, and uh, the consensus building seems to be exhausting for a lot. Uh, there's just, I mean, decision making has always been difficult, but there are just a lot of opinions on the decisions being made right now. And there's a lot of avenues and ways for people to voice their opinion. And, uh, and they're not afraid to voice them right now. And a lot of pastors are just getting beat up. That's right. And us pastors, you know, there's a lot in us that are people pleasers. You know, I mean, one of the things we do is like to shepherd people, bring them all together. And when you have a pandemic that's constantly dividing people over safety issues, over kid issues and stuff like that, the pastor's kind of like in a, um, he's kind of like in a blender of criticism yeah. and he can never win. Yeah. And it just, it just undoes him. I, I just, I do, I feel for them and that fractured community that a lot of them are feeling that they're trying to repair all the time. They just never seem to get there. Yeah. But despite all of that, the church uh, continues to thrive. It continues to be healthy. God continues to work in and through it. And uh, and it is a gift to the world and a, and a gift specifically uh, to those who claim to follow Jesus. We still need the church. We still need each other. And that's, right. uh, and that's what I love what that we're going to... What we do need, and I hope as people listen to what we just said, I think we really do need to be praying yeah. for the church leaders and in particular, the pastors of the church, praying that God will strengthen them, give them courage, uh, give them a, a sense of endurance that really is supernatural. They, they, they need that in this time. That's Yeah, that's really well said. Well, there's a couple of things as we've been going through over the past few episodes, this study that the Barna Group did in conjunction with Better Man. And so we're on the, the last one of those topics here today as we talk about the church. And so the Barna study did uncover some inter- interesting observations, and I want to discuss two of them with you. And so the first one was this, is that uh, men under 35 are less likely to go to church. I don't think any of us were really surprised when we read that part. So men under 35 are less likely to go to church. But those who do go to church are more engaged than older generations. So even though men under 35, fewer of them go to church, the ones who do are more engaged in the church than even the older generations. And so what do you make of this finding? Well, I think that's been coming for a while, even pre-pandemic. Yeah. I think that um, uh, I like to keep up with the social research of what's happening out there. But I think in the last really 15 years— the, the church has been increasingly out of sync with younger people. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason for that, is, and I'm just speaking generally now, not specifically to any one church, yeah. but I think uh, the church has fallen out of favor with young people regarding things like science, things like gender issues, and things like the condition of the world. Mm. Uh the, the previous church generation, more my generation, we had ways that we were working with people that seemed to explode evangelical churches in the mega churches. 
but we've been playing, I think, a little too long the same music. Hmm. And then as this younger generation has gotten older and where science seems to attack certain things of the faith, for instance, in our origins with evolution and things like that, or with gender, men's and women's roles, um, uh, with with uh, the sense of the condition of the world, that we're a global world, where we, we need to be more multicultural and those kind of things. I don't think the church adjusted very well to that. And young people began to think of the church as anti-science, uh, began to think of the church as anti-woman or anti uh, 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 sexuality in terms of gay and transgender sexuality, and and in some ways not as well connected to really global issues and making a difference in the world. So all of that has been festering, I think, for a number of years. And then you add the coronavirus on top of that, and the church, I think, has lost a lot of young people in the last 20 years that Barna and other groups cite as the nuns. Yep. Uh, they, 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 it's not that they don't have a spirituality or spiritual belief, but it's just not tethered to any church going or even strong doctrinal beliefs. Yeah. So if you were still in a position of leadership that you were for years, uh, uh, leading leading a local church, so if you're you're the local church leader. Who would you focus on more right now, the young and engaged or the older and slightly disengaged? Well, I would, as a pastor, I would focus heavily on the young. Yeah. I would get a staff person. I don't think today with people living longer, most churches don't know how to deal with older people. Hmm. They see them once they hit about 65 is, well, they're just going to disappear or they're going to keep attending church and do their own thing, they're okay. So we just make assumptions. But a lot of older people feel dismissed because at 65, many of them have another 20 years to live and they're vigorous. Right. So we need someone, if the church needed a new staff position, it's a staff position to work with older people and help them better deploy their gifts, especially in investing down in the young. Yeah. But for me personally... I would spend a lot more time investing in the young and doing what we just talked about, and that is aligning what our church is doing to the things that are most important to young people growing up. So I would address head-on issues of science and religion. I think we need to do that. I think the thing that's incredible today that most, I'd say, millennials don't believe anymore, but I think is truer now than it's ever been is that science really is on the side of the church right. in all kinds of issues. We're just believing yesterday's science on things of evolution, on things of being born gay and other things like that. That's old science that no longer really even applies, but millennials still think it's relevant science when the science has actually changed and more favorable to the church than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So we need to get back engaged in science and use science, hard science and social science in our messages, in our classes, starting to me at a junior high level to have an apologetic that involves science. The other thing that we need to do is, is speak directly to young people about gender issues yes. and help define in a much more inspirational way 
manhood and womanhood and not be afraid to take on the 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 uh, the new offshoots of gender that is in our face every day, which is the LBGTQ movement. And we just have to deal with those issues and deal with them compassionately, yes. but also firmly at the same time. But if I were a pastor, I would be doing those kind of things all the way down at a junior high level to equip young people with the ideologies that they're going to be facing every day they work, they walk into a school or walk into the world and just align the church more to what's really relevant today. And of course, then the last biggie is that young people today are more action oriented, service oriented. So I would deploy older people working with younger people to get involved with the community and the world in a much more intense way to experience Christianity in the doing rather than just in the coming and learning classroom Christianity of a previous generation. We need to be activist oriented in today's new church. I love uh, to piggyback off that. I love uh, Tim Elmore and some of the research he's done on the millennial generation. And I, I'll never forget there was a line that he used or a, an idea, a metaphor that the millennial generation, they are an upload generation, not a download generation, meaning they don't want to just be consumers of information. And, you know, they, they love your teaching and they want to hear it, but they want to go and act. They want to do something. They like to upload their videos. They like to create and do something. And I thought it was a really great description and it really, and it, and it fits with that last point that you just made of action oriented, give them a job to do that is real and you can teach them on the front lines and so much discipleship can happen there. That's right. And I've, I've had so many wonderful occasions in the last couple of years, especially with my sons, engaging them in adventuresome service projects I mean, I worked with my son for the last two years, who's an ER doctor, and I was involved in helping open the African College of Theology in Kigali, Rwanda, but they had a need for medical personnel, and they were in the process of wanting to build the first hospital in Kigali that could service the community, and I got my son involved, and he got a bunch of his friends, his doctor friends that weren't necessarily churchgoers, to go over there and help open this new hospital and staff it the first couple of months. And let me tell you, the bonding that occurred between me and my son, but also between him and these other doctors who at the time were kind of on the fringe of the church, I tell you, Adam, we just saw incredible things happen. In fact, this morning I was meeting with those very same men in a better man study to be better men together, but they were all, they've all bonded spiritually together because of those service adventures that they shared together. Yeah, and even when you can connect it to a man's job, and and the last couple episodes ago when we talked about a man and his job and that word you used that was so good that we need to bring back this sense of vocation, right? This sense of calling and working. And when you can help uh, you know, an ER doctor or an architect or an engineer or um, you know, a site foreman or something like that, an accountant, you, a wealth manager, whatever it is, you can help them connect their job to something that really is important within the church and helping, uh, helping make the city a better place. You really start to, to sense that, oh, this is a vocation. God can use this. That's right. When, when, when your work goes outside your job to bless others with those same gifts, you just move from a job, just a job, 
to a vocation, a calling. Yeah. yeah. And that, that there is something rich and satisfying uh, about that. And, and it brings about this engagement. And when the church can help hold your hand from that job to vocation, I, th- that's amazing right there. And now you start to see people really engaged in the church because now it's not like just, you know, uh, show up, shut up and pay up type mentality. You don't, you don't want me just sitting here, you know, and uh, you actually want to uh, help me deploy my life in a way that glorifies God and blesses others. And they, and they start, that's what I love about millennials is when they have a taste of that, they start coming up with their own service ministry spontaneously. Right. They become spiritual entrepreneurs with their gifts. And that is when it really gets exciting, when they yeah. start opening doors that you didn't even think of. Yep, that's right. Well, I, I would agree with you. I would go after the young and engaged too, rather than the older and disengaged. And But I like what you're saying. It's not to forget the older and disengaged, right? That that they, they that is a unique season of life that maybe is unique to the, even this era of church with uh, people uh, largely living longer and and being older that uh, it, with so much life still left in them. And here's why is because until our generation, my generation, a lot of times life was concluding at 65. Yeah. And yet what we're finding today with the with people living generally to at least 80 is that life might be retiring at 65 but people have another whole job lifespan between 65 and 80. They just need the church to step into that white space and help them reinvent themselves. And one of the best ways for older people to reinvent themselves is to have the church teaching them how to deploy themselves down into the lives of younger people, whether it's in service areas, whether it's in ministry areas, whether it's in mentoring areas, that's why at Better Man, we try to get older men to work with younger men in that Better Man adventure and to connect with them and just share their lives with them because it opens up a whole new experience of relationship between older and younger that a lot of older men would never think that a younger man would want to spend time with. Him. Yeah. And when he discovers that they do, it's kind of like it's given him a second life of relationships. It's so awesome. That is so good. Okay. Well, let's talk about the second connection here that I thought was interesting that came out of this study. So here was this observation is that there is clearly a connection between men's ministry and a man's well-being. So those who were involved in men's ministry, they reported higher levels of well-being and it was pretty obvious. I mean, it was across the board that those who participate reported these higher levels. And so I just wrote down the the 10 areas and th- listen to this list that you were, will report higher levels of well-being with your kids, mental health, spiritual health, work-life balance, thoughts about the future, leisure, rest, sex life, career, physical health and financial health. So if you are participating in men's ministry, they were reporting that their life was better. Now, uh, some may be sitting there going, well, this is the Better Man podcast. Of course, you're going to agree with that. But were you were you surprised that it was that overwhelmingly obvious? I was. And the thing that uh, there were a couple of things that you dug into that that were even more surprising, and that is men who reported getting with other men in the church, even in very loose, not very well-organized gatherings, a men's ministry was just okay. Yeah. Even those men reported significant upgrades in their well-being in all these areas. Just men being with men, even if you weren't doing a lot, that's not even a 
what I'd call a, a real good men's ministry. Yeah. It just showed the power of men doing life better together. If you're a listener right now, I, I almost want to shout that, that, that the research, it wasn't better man that came up with this. This was the research of the Barna group. It shouted that men do better together. And that when men are disconnected, maybe just through being a playmate, but not having somebody they can really talk to or share life with, that is a path that really is unhealthy for men. Their quality of life goes down. They don't know they're missing it, but they're missing it when they're not doing it in the company of authentic relationships. So when I read this, it was this reminder to me that the the uh, the Marlboro Man is a <laughs> character, right? Yeah. It's a fictional character. They're <laughs> out there on their own, and they've just got it all figured out. That is that is in the movies, right? In the same way that we need to help remind our kids, nobody grows up to be Batman, right? Like we need to remind our kids of that. We need to remind men, nobody grows up to be the Marlboro Man. That, 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 is, that doesn't happen. But you know, Adam, there is something in our culture that even today, uh, through movies and television, we have this romantic fantasy of this guy who doesn't need anybody. Right. He can figure out everything on his own, and he cuts a solo, independent path past all the people around him. He just does it his way and he wins. Yep. And that is the biggest delusion ever perpetrated on American society, that the loner is the winner. You know what it is? It's a it's like another version of pornography. It is it is a fantasy world filled with actors that is not real that can lead your life. Uh, in a direction that you don't want to go. If you do believe that all these characters are out there and I don't need anybody and I can just be this and this is what a real man is, I'm just sitting there and just going, the I don't know, the research is seeming, seeming to point in a completely different direction that uh, you need people. All the research is so crystal clear. And again, this is where social science should work for the pastor, even yes. in encouraging this. But all the research, and again, we need to shout it, continually tells us over and over again that it's in the company of relationship, whether it's in a marriage or a men's group or with just general friends, couple friends and stuff. Relationships are the thing that carry you through life with a sense of healthy, happy sense of well-being that gives the beauty of life to you rather than somehow taking it away. You know, being lonely steals life. Being in the company of others and especially with men, somehow men to men is kind of a special connection that gives energy to men's lives where they can be safe and talk about men things that they wouldn't really share with others. And it's a safe place where they can process it. All of that processing, even if it doesn't come to crystal clear answers at times, all of that is just breathing life into the soul of a man. It is. So what would you say to the church leader right now that's going, well, listen, uh, Adam, Robert, I hear what you're saying, but we have a, we have a marriage, you know, a, a marriage ministry, or we've got Sunday school. So we, we gather, we gather men, men get together, you know, uh, it, that's gotta be enough, right? Would you agree or disagree with that line of thinking? I totally disagree. Yeah. I think in, I think there's value in all of what you just said when you have mixed company where you have, you know, couples, Sunday school, those kind of things. But I'd say, let's let's look at women. 
Do women meet just with women? Oh, man. The church is filled with women's ministries all across America. Yeah. And they're robust and healthy and vibrant in most cases that I know. Yeah. But with men, they'll meet in mixed company. But when men meet at mixed company, there's a part of their soul, a part of their spirit, and a part of their lives that always remains hidden. Mm. Because that will only be revealed in the company of other men. Yeah. And so if you don't have anything that allows men to get safely with other men, you are you are basically cutting men off at the knees and crippling them spiritually. They need men environments to process life with and to do it just with masculine language. Yeah. And so you uh, had, what, 40 years leading in a local church? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So you have some credibility here on this next question. Describe how easy it is to start a men's ministry. Well, the, the key to starting a men's ministry, to me, starts at the top with a pastor valuing what we just said. Yeah. And I think my disappointment at times with the church general is that pastors, for whatever reason, won't hear that. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if many pastors are uncomfortable themselves with being a man. So the idea of getting with men and talking directly to men and just with men is intimidating or they feel like they don't have the resources to share. But but the lack of the pastor helping spearhead a men's ministry is just a huge mistake. We mm. need men's ministries across America. But starting one is really as simple as finding some men. And there are men in your church who will want to participate in men's ministry and helping them by helping draw, draw them together and seeing this is valuable, helping them find good resources that they can deploy with you as a pastor, not doing it, but at least cheering for them yep. and bringing it up in front of the congregation and reminding the congregation how important a men's ministry is. You're not you're not necessarily elevating men's ministry above others, but what you're also not doing is not mentioning anything about men's ministry so that it takes a much lower place than other things in the church, like women's ministries, children's ministries, married ministries. You, The resources are there. All you need as a pastor is to find men who will be affirmed by you to deploy those resources and be encouraged by you in the process of doing so. If you personally want to get involved, man, I think that's even better. But if you feel like you don't have the time, at least be the energizer bunny that gets men's ministries started it's not hard to do. It just needs pastoral support. That's right. And see also the conversation we just got done having about the young uh, folks that are in church and highly engaged and they're energized and they want to do something. Go get go get one of them to help lead this thing if you yourself don't have time for it. But the, that tone from the top has got to be there. And it's never been easier, as you said, to find resources. I mean, with, with podcasts and... You, you don't lack resources. There's tons of resources out there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a resource issue from a, well, if we got together, I don't know what, what we would teach. I mean, it's like, well, pick a podcast, pick a YouTube video, uh, pick a sermon series from another, whatever it is, just pick something. Most of it's free. You can go download it. You can find content to discuss. It is, do you believe in it? And are you going to, are you going to put some energy towards it and, uh, and do this to help bless your church? And Adam, one of the things we do at Better Man, I mean, we 
have vetted the best of the best men's resources. They aren't ours. They're the great resources across America that we have relationships with. And we actually promote those resources, those great resources from other groups. We promote those resources on our website and let men pick and choose which of those resources best fit what they need right now in their life. And so we're just kind of a promoter of other people's best resources. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up with one final question uh, before we get some of your final thoughts. So the guy who's driving around right now going, Adam, Robert, I've tried church. I've tried it so often. I'm just, I'm done. I, I can figure out how to do this Christian life on my own. I've got three or four Christian friends but I am not going to go back and be a part of a church. I don't care what you say. Uh, what would you say to that man? Well, I think there is a way that seems right to a man. Mm. At least the scripture says that, but yeah. the way they're in is death. Yeah. And I think cutting yourself off from the community of Christ is really a death wish because it isolates you and that will lead to you thinking about life with just yourself in mind, and that creates all kinds of wrong thinking and wrong conclusions. So you just need to know that you need the church. But if you if you still aren't motivated to do that, I would say maybe a great starting place would be to get with a group of men and simply join a men's study about what it means to live the authentic masculine life. That's right. I think in that company of men, what you're going to actually be experiencing in many ways is church at its best, Mm. especially if there are authentic relationships in that study. And then I think that might re-encourage you about what the church could do on a broader way, in a broader way. That's right. I love that answer. That's really good. All right, Robert, any final thoughts on this topic? No, I just love men. And I, I just love the fact that we get to talk to men and encourage them for their best life. And their best life is to be lived in the company of other men in the pursuit of Jesus, the Lord of life. Always great to visit with you. Thank you so much for your time. Hi, Adam. Have a good day. Hey, everybody. Adam Tarno here. If you like what you heard on the show today, please do us a favor and rate and review the show. That'll help people find us. If you are a church or organization leader interested in bringing the Better Man 11-week event to your community, go to betterman.com for more information. Today's episode was mixed and edited by the team at Sound of a Rose, and you can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. This has been the Better Man Podcast. Have a great day.